0: I think we feel ownership of our body and therefore we feel comfortable being critical of it because we feel comfortable being critical of ourselves. But it's not. Your your physical self is, is, is separate and you have to look after it. Your body can't look after itself. It needs you to make those decisions. And to do that, you need to love and respect it.
1: This is Sweat the Details, a collaboration with Under Armour and iHeartRadio, a sports and training podcast made for women by women that puts our success and challenges at the front and center. I'm Monica Jones. I'm a fitness coach, boxer, business
2: owner, and UA athlete. And I'm Meg Boggs. I'm a power lifter, author, body positivity advocate, and mother. Every episode, Monica and I will talk to athletes, trainers, and experts, and learn more about how the body and mind work together in training and competition.
1: Today, fam, we're talking with Australian wheelchair racer Madison de Rosario. In the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics, Madison won gold in the Women's Marathon T54 and Women's 800-meter T53, and bronze in Women's 1500-meter T54. She also won one silver medal in the 2008 Beijing Paralympics, two silver medals in the 2016 Rio Paralympics, and three gold medals at the World Para-Athletics Championships. Unbelievable. Madison's talent and energy is just
2: unmatched. Seriously, can you believe she competed in her first Paralympics at 14? Incredible. She is an astonishing figure in sports, and we hope that her journey inspires many other future athletes and para athletes into pursuing their dreams. Madison not only has so much love for the sport that
1: she is in, but she has so much passion for paying that forward and really, you know, paving the way for other Paralympians and wheelchair athletes.
2: Absolutely. I feel like this is a conversation that we rarely ever hear. I just don't think that there's that representation available for people with disabilities, especially in sports. So having her on and hearing from her, hearing her heart and her story, and just really giving this conversation a chance to reach people that maybe it wouldn't have reached. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yes.
1: I really appreciate Madison's ability to show her passion for sport, but also
2: just as much passion for paving the way for those with disabilities in sports. Absolutely. I'm so excited and grateful for Madison for coming on. And this is going to be a conversation that I think is going to reach a lot of people.
1: Yes, I'm very excited to hear from Madison.
2: You ready to have our conversation? Let's get it. What's up, Sweat Fam? We have the absolute pleasure of sitting down right now with Madison De Rosario, Paralympic athlete and gold medalist. We're so happy to have you here with us today, Madison. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And that is awesome. Always good to hear that you're doing well. First of all, I just want to say that you're phenomenal, seriously phenomenal. (laughs) And congratulations on crushing it this year at Tokyo. Uh, My daughter, who is about to be four, was so mesmerized watching you race. And I just like, I just wanted to make sure that I told you at some point, so I'm just going to get it out there right away. Oh my God, that's the sweetest. So walk us through
1: your journey into Fitness Madison. What role did sports play in your life growing up?
2: So I, I'm,
0: I'm one of three sisters and I, I had a very active family growing up. Um, I think every kind of family in Australia, that's just kind of a, a part of it. You're kind of expected to play every single sport and I would just kind of go along with whatever my sisters were doing. But when I was about um, 11 or 12, um, you kind of start to notice the differences a little bit. So, you know, everyone around me was getting like, you know, taller and and, and stronger and faster on the grass. And so that's when I started uh, exploring wheelchair sports options. And wheelchair basketball is the really big one where I grew up. Our, our national program is centralized out of there now. So that was the one that I kind of saw everywhere. So I I tried, I tried basketball and I'm the most uncoordinated human. And so I was terrible and I I loved it because it was just a bunch of people that looked like me playing sport and that was fun, but I was atrocious. And I remember one of the, the coaches basically pulled me aside on like my third or fourth go. And he was like, you're terrible at this (laughs) but i have a track chair in the storage room do you want to give it a go so i i jumped in this race chair in like the parking lot of this basketball stadium and just absolutely fell in love with it oh that is so dope
2: what is like something about the sport that you just absolutely love like what is it about wheelchair racing that you just you know get this huge amount of motivation and inspiration to to race like what is it about that sport I
0: think I love mm. that everything that you put into it, you get back out of it. I, I love that it's independent. I love that it's yeah. not a team sport and that I'm like entirely accountable for everything that I do out there. If I make a mistake, that's on me to fix. And, and if I absolutely nail it, then that's also on me. And I think I, I love that aspect of it. I also love that it's so black and white. Like I, I love that I can, if I put the work in and I work on X, Y, and Z and I listen to my performance team, And I I do everything required of me, both physically, but also mentally. I can see those results in in such a tangible way in in terms of like rankings and and times and speeds. Yeah, I, I love all of that so much.
1: Wow. I mean, the way that you embrace the individual nature of the sport and the technique, it speaks volumes about how successful you've been in all of your performances. You went to your first Paralympics at age 14. Wow. That's an extraordinary (laughs) achievement. How was the moment when you learned you qualified for your first Paralympics? Did you always envision yourself as an international athlete?
0: No, not at all. So that was a little bit surreal. I definitely didn't see myself being a professional athlete. My family was definitely surprised because, again, I was not competitive in sport when I was a kid at all. But I fell in love with wheelchair racing when I was about 12. And I went to my, my first international competition. It was here in Australia. It was in Sydney. But we had this big international field come out. And it was 2008. So it was a games year. And so you had, you know, and because it's in, in January, it's within the qualification period still. So you had like a huge international field come out. So trying to get those qualifiers. And, and we have one particularly fast track um, here in Australia down in Canberra. And so it, it draws quite a big field. So I remember... Kind of just being so blown away, not just by the athletic prowess of these people around me, but that it was just these people and and primarily women. Like I remember just seeing these like strong, fierce women just leaning into their own identity, right? And mm-hmm. and being anything and everything that they nice. wanted to be. And this this sport was was kind of allowing them the, the structure to, to shape these lives that I had never imagined for myself. And so I, I fell in love with the sport, but I also I think fell in love with like the lifestyle of it all and, and how I, how they were able to, to just push themselves using sport as a way to do it. And so that, that's where I, I think I really fell in love with it. And so I, I started working with my coach who, who, I still work with now, um, Louis Savage, and, we were kind of training with the big goal being London 2012 i'd be 18 at that point and and you know maybe like a world champs before then to to kind of like you know lead into that a little bit tidier and and a spot actually opened up on the 4x100 relay team um, so I sprinted through through my first games. Nice. Yeah. And so that's the spot that I filled. And I remember getting the phone call. I was in year 10 at school. Um, and so I remember like getting the phone call and I want to say like a physics class or some kind of science class and answering because I, I knew that today was the day they were announcing, you know, the last call for the team. But yeah, no, it definitely wasn't a part of the plan to, to be in Beijing, but one I'm so grateful for.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, you're in the middle of class and you're like, well, where I'd rather be is calling me right now.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have priorities. Did you say that you first started wheelchair racing at 12? Did I hear that right? Yeah. And then you went to the yeah. your first Paralympics at 14? I Two mean- years later, oh, wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. It was an enormous shock. And it yeah, I think, like I was kind of saying before, it's more the technical side. Like if you can get that skill down and I had such a good team around me just kind of teach me like, that's all we focused on. Mm. And so I think I managed to skip a lot of kind of that initial process into it. We just started with like basics and, and I was, I was definitely only there because of the relay. I I would not have made that team, you know, as an individual athlete at that point. So very much because of the relay that I got there, but yeah, short turnaround.
1: Wow. All right. Are y'all ready for some really impressive stats? Here we go. In the 2021 Paralympics, Madison, you won gold in the women's marathon T-54 and women's 800-meter T-53 and bronze in the women's 1500-meter T-54. Yes, yes. damn. <laughs> you did
0: all that.
1: <laughs> Tell us more about this experience. How did you mentally and physically prepare for those competitions?
0: So Tokyo was the biggest roller coaster of my life. And so uh, my program was really condensed. I had all, all of my track events kind of within... Four days by the end of it. Um, wow! And so it, it was very much back to back events, and and my first race out was the five thousand, which typically is one that I'm, I'm decent at. So I going into these games, I'd come second at the last time I'd raced it, um, the World Champs in 2019, and the two years prior to that at the at Worlds, I'd, I'd actually won it. So, it's an event that, you know, it's my favorite track event, to be honest. And so, I definitely had high expectations going in and I lined up for this race. And, and I hadn't raced in in two years at this point. And I ran the most tactically awful race of my life. And it was no. a, <laughs> yeah, it was a, you know, it was a Paralympic final. And I just, every, decision that I made, it was incorrect basically. And while I was making it, it's like, I knew I was making the wrong decisions, but I didn't know what the right decision was. It was like, I was just so out of practice with, with that mm. part of, you know, trusting your, your decision-making mm. and and backing yourself and, and making it and then executing it immediately that I just, I, I hesitated and I made mistakes and, and the, the woman that did win it, she won it by an unreal amount. Um, I think there was like a hundred meter gap between her and silver that another hundred meters between silver and bronze. It was unreal. She was a second off the world record. Um, and basically that, that winning time was like six seconds quicker than, than my personal best. So absolutely unreal race on, on her part. She's an American woman, Susanna Scaroni, and that was her first gold medal at a Paralympics as well. So unreal race for her. Oh, so deserved. hurt me a little bit emotionally to be, you know, I, I remember um, on the bell lap, so 400 minutes go, your last lap, you get the bell. So, you know, it's your last lap. I remember hearing her bell lap when I was still 600 meters from the finish line. And it was like the most like demoralizing thing. I was like, I don't know like, what to do with this. So I remember coming oh, man. Yeah. I, I came out of that race and I had the 800 meter semifinal the next morning. And so I only had about you know, less than 24 hours to, to kind of process that and and relearn to trust myself as an athlete in that time, which is one of the biggest challenges. Um, because yes. I think you're able to make decisions because you trust that your body can do it, can follow through on what you're about to ask it to do. And I just, I wasn't able to do that because I, I hadn't, you know, shown that I could do that over this 5K. And uh, I think the part that I felt let me down was like the decision-making part. And so I, I spoke to my coach about this, and we basically decided like the 800, we'd make all the decisions before I even saw the track. And so normally mm. on a day when I have like a semifinal in the morning, the final in the evening, you run a really easy semifinal. Like you just do the bare minimum to get through. And we kind of decided to give it a good go instead, because I think I needed to kind of feel that speed, familiarize my body with actually mm, doing yeah. a good race again t- to have that confidence for the final. And, and so we, we ran a well-executed solid race that morning. And that was definitely very confidence inspiring. And we sat in my apartment in the village between the two races and basically planned the 800 and the 800 is great because there's really only one, maybe two decisions you have to make out there on the track. And, and we made them in my apartment in the village before we even got back out to the comp venue And so when it came down to it, it was, I was able to execute it without thinking too much. And that, you know, having run the 800 in the morning, the way we did, I kind of had the confidence in my body to be able to do that. And so it was one of the most well-executed races I've ever done. So that contrast to to the 5,000 was, was so nice. And it
2: was, you know, such a nice way to come back from it. Wow. God, like, it just sounds like so much goes in, you know, mentally and physically. I mean, I didn't even think about like the whole specific plan and then if the you know I'm sure the plan can change at any moment I'm like that has to just mentally be a little brutal kind of exciting but also a little brutal (laughs) well you know speaking of like different challenges that we go through I know you just took us through a wild ride and that is wow I'm just like soaking it all in but what are (laughs) you know what are some other challenges that you've faced in your sports career and what have you done to overcome them how do you overcome them
0: so I I nearly gave up the sport after the London Paralympics oh wow I, I made it through two games without really knowing who I was as an athlete. I grew up in this in this sport, surrounded by these people, and they're amazing people. But they're also approaching the sport in their own way that suits them. And I think because I, you know, have known this, I've been on this like senior team since I was fourteen. I was basically trying to emulate what I saw around me rather than trying to work out what I needed Mm. to do for for myself. And I didn't realize at the time that that was going to be a big problem later on where I got to wrapping up London. I was 18 at the time and I had no idea who I was and I had no idea who I was as a person or as an athlete because I just spent, you know, an entire game cycle just trying to be what I thought an athlete needed to be. And, you know, if I was ever upset before a race, I would have, you know, Staff members basically say, you know, turn that anger into into a good race, and I can't do that. Like I just race terribly if I'm not very calm leading into it, um, and I I thought I was doing something wrong. Mm. Add into that in in London, I was fairly injured. I was I was still sprinting, and my body doesn't lend itself to to sprinting. I just wasn't very good at it um, compared to what I thought I could be as an athlete. And so coming out of of London basically I'd fallen out of love with the sport. I felt like it was demanding so much of me that I didn't think I I wanted to give at that point. And I didn't actually tell anybody, which was like the most like immature 18 year old decision I possibly could have made. I just kind of stopped investing in it, but I wasn't brave enough to walk away or brave enough to have those conversations. And it's stuck it, in the middle, one hundred percent. And so I spent maybe like a, a year of just kind of I switched, I quit sprinting in London. That was the last time I, I ever sprinted, and I raced my first marathon the following year, London Marathon, in in April. So I was making good decisions. I just still wasn't mentally doing what the work that I needed to do, and it took um, until the Commonwealth Games in twenty fourteen were were in Glasgow, and I was going in as um, I think the highest or the second highest ranked athlete in the Commonwealth. And I was kind of excited about it because I, I thought that this would be the moment, like this might turn it around. I've, you know, not been able to quite get the success that I want and maybe this will do it for me. And on the flight over from Perth, Australia to Dubai as a labor, I actually got a DVT, like a blood clot. Oh my um, gosh. and, a, and, wow. and a huge one at that, it was 40 centimeters. Oh my goodness. And I,
1: oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. And when they told me in the hospital in the UK, they're like, it goes from like mid thighs, like your stomach. And I was like, this seems far more dramatic oh my- than oh. I was expecting. Oh my goodness. But I was also not able to, to compete at those Com games. And I had to watch that race from, from the stands. And it was mixed because my, my teammate and, and my roommate at those Com games, she, she won it. So it was such a high to watch that and also so devastating to, to get to miss out. But I think realizing how upset I was about not being on the track I kind of realized that I didn't want to walk away. I just wanted to not be doing it like this. Mm. And that was when I finally chose to, to talk to my coach about it. And, and she's one of the people that I had been trying to emulate to this day. She's the most competitive human that I know. She's, she's so fiery. She can fire up in an instant and she would win races because she just wanted it more than anybody else. And she was one of all people that was so patient with me and Basically, recognize that that wasn't the athlete that I was. How do we make it that I can race in a way that does truly work for me and benefit me? And, and how do I get to grow into the athlete that I need to be in order to be successful? And that was that was all her. She created it and held that space for me to be able to do that. And we, that's beautiful. It was amazing, yeah. and and we did receive a bit of pushback from members around us with the decisions that we were making. And she was so strong in allowing me to be the athlete that I wanted to be. And we did 12 months of this basically and came in, in, in 2015 world championships and I, as this new version of an athlete and, and won my first world title. So mm, it was yes. amazing. unreal. And yeah. And so very much fell back in love with the sport, but um, I would say that is probably the biggest um, speed bump of my career.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, you know, visualizing or, or being able to witness something almost being taken away from you for a moment finally gives you the clarity where you can see actually yes, I do really want this and I I really want to figure out a way to do it on my own terms Absolutely. and I'm willing to explore that. And of course, your coach is an incredible support system for that.
0: She's amazing and and I think now I can kind of recognize when I'm falling into those slumps and it doesn't take a big catalyst to change it, you can kind of act before it really hits that point, which is an, an
2: amazing learning curve to have. Yeah.
1: Yes. Serious growth right there. Mm.
2: So incredible. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of head towards a little bit more advice that you would have. Um, I'm sure we have some listeners that may want to become Um, Paralympians one day. Mm -hmm. Let's first start off with like setting goals. Um, I know you started very young. So do you have any strategies that you've kind of learned and developed over the years to help set goals and really make them happen?
0: It took me a little while to learn this, but I think I learned that you have to be so considerate when setting your goals because it's less so about whether you achieve it or not, right? Like I think we are so taught that, you know, when you achieve this thing, that's where I don't know, happiness and, and pride right. and, and all of that that comes in. And so I think we usually set goals for the person that we want to be. Like when we hit that, we're going to be this person and then that will be good. And it's not really about anything between now and achieving it. And so I think we put too much pressure on, on actually achieving it when the reality is it's short-lived and mm-hmm. it also doesn't matter. I feel like wow. you, you you tick, you tick a, a goal, you do it, And then the next morning, you're the exact same person, right? Surrounded by the same people Mm -hmm. doing the same things. Like it doesn't change anything. So, right. I think we've all been there. We've all like done this and realized that it doesn't mean as much as we thought it would mean. Whereas setting goals that allow you to shape your life now to get to live in and be the person that you want to be in that space. I think that's unreal. That's I think is what is really, really important. And that's Definitely, how I make all of my decisions, um, and so you know, I, I do set obviously very big goals in in sport and and as an personally, but I think what it means is, is now the life that I get to live, I'm, I'm surrounded by amazing people in, you know, through the sport who I've met, but also like in the performance team that I work with, like they're, they're so motivated and, and they're in it for more than just professional reasons. Like I'm surrounded by people who are truly invested mm-hmm. in in me and, and what I'm doing. And, and I get to be you know proud of myself and I get to do a job that I love and, and push myself and and learn so much about myself. And I think that's amazing. And, and with the sporting platform, I'm able to, to have an impact. And, and that's important to me too, you know, that, that young girls who look like me see someone like themselves growing up, because that's not really something that, that I had growing up. And so all of those things are what make me, you know, happy and and so proud of, of everything. And it's not really the goals. It's kind of what you do in the middle. So That is what I would say about goal setting is to be considerate of the fact that it's about, you know, the structure that it provides to allow you to live the life that you want to live.
2: Best goal advice ever. You heard it here first.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) There's so much alignment in how I know I speak for Megan and I. When we talk about goals every single week, we are considerate of where we are in the moment. And I think that you know if you backtrack maybe like in the last decade, especially, especially with the rise of social media, it's almost seemed as if your goals need to be astronomical and they need to be extremely demanding and almost rob you of living in the moment. And, you know, we have to set goals and allow for those goals to really be reflective of the quality of life we wanna live in the moment too.
0: Yes, 100%.
1: I'm sure that that's reflective of what I'm about to ask, but uh, I know previously, in some interviews you've shared that you used to struggle with body image and you know i'm curious how was the process of building your confidence and loving your body
0: that's such a difficult one for every single person right mm-hmm. we, we all run into that at least once in our lives i think most of us so many more times than just a once. few yeah um, <laughs> yes, just a couple it's definitely a much larger issue for girls for young girls particularly than it is for boys Um, not to minimize that, but there's, there's so much pressure around, you know, what girls should be and and how they should look. And, and I went through that as well, but I went through it as a girl with a disability, which makes it that little bit more challenging because there was nothing that I could ever do, no matter how much work I wanted to put in, that was ever going to give me the body that I thought was the socially acceptable version, right? Like it, it was completely impossible. And on the one hand, I feel like it stopped me from developing bad habits around stuff. Like, I know a lot of my friends would go to such extremes to kind of create this ideal body that was so unattainable. Um, whereas I knew that no matter how much of that I did, it, it would never happen. And so, for me, it, it was it was sport that helped me to to step out of that. I think you can't be a good athlete who has this love and respect for their body whilst also hating the body that you're in. You can't demand yes. what you need to demand of your of your body as an athlete while kind of having those negative kind of feelings and thoughts towards it. It just doesn't work. And yeah. so yep. I think being able to take pride in what my body was like physically capable of is what definitely for myself got me out of that. But on saying that, I don't think that your body needs to be able to do a marathon to be a body that you respect and yes. love. And Ooh. that's what I, I struggle with. That's I think real. that if Yeah, I think if all your body does is provide a home, then it's doing everything that it needs to do for you. Anything more than that is above and beyond. And Amen. and we demand so much. And and I don't know if I would have been able to get from you know struggles with body image to loving it without sport i wish i could say that you know i i'm someone who, who could have done that and i i definitely use sport as a crutch to do that um but i would want for for anyone listening is is find a way to to love your body treat it as as an entire separate relationship right like i think we mm-hmm. feel ownership of our body and therefore we feel comfortable being critical of it because we feel comfortable being critical of ourselves but it's not your your physical self is 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 separate, and you have to look after it. Your body can't look after itself; it needs you to make those decisions. And to do that, you need to love and respect it. So, I think find a way to to create a healthy working relationship with your body.
1: I mean, that is you just blew my mind with that. I <laughs> personally have definitely seen my worth in physical movement, but it did save me at the same time from, you know, dysmorphia mm-hmm. and saying that having ownership of our body creates comfort in being critical. Wow. Like I that is, yeah. there isn't a more true statement, I don't think. <laughs> and that was really great advice for, you know, other young women trying to also build confidence and love for their bodies.
2: Couldn't agree more. Well, I uh, I was doing a little research and people with disabilities make up, 15% of the world's population. And just to put that into perspective, that's 1 billion people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of our world. And I, I feel like a lot of mm-hmm. like work, it's kind of invisible to us. Like how are, how is that not more visible? Um, so what what do you want non-disabled people to know about para-athletes and people with disabilities?
0: I think I would want people without disabilities to take the time to see... People with disabilities in all of their identities, mm. and disability mm-hmm. is one of those identities, right? Yes. But, and I, 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 you know, don't want to detract from that. But you're also such a multifaceted human under it, and I think we often just we see the one thing, and then we we kind of pack the entire identity into into that kind of bias that we hold, and yes. unfortunately, disability carries a negative stigma, and, and it shouldn't, right? There right. Is, there is no good reason for it. Disability is like an entirely neutral thing in my opinion it's it's neither good nor bad it, it simply is but it's just kind of like riddled with this negative stigma and so when you just see that side of a person you're kind of pushing like this discomfort onto that 15 percent. and so I think recognizing disability absolutely like we you know it's it's up for half of us it's it, it's so apparent and and it's a part of of, of who we are and and I I, I'm a very proud woman with a disability. and but I think seeing someone in in all their identities, in all of their facets and and I think that's an active decision that eighty five percent has to make. Mm-hmm.
1: definitely agree with that. And it's so important to acknowledge the kind of energy you bring when you put someone in one category before even taking the time to get to know them or, you know, looking past 100%. just what's at what meets the eye. Uh, and that goes for everybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does.
1: Under Armour's Sweat the Details will be back after a short break.
2: Welcome back to Sweat the Details. All right, so
1: Maddie, very excited. We're going to get into our Shake It Out portion, and we're going to play a game called Race to the End. All right. So we're going to ask you some questions and um, figure out what keeps you motivated, inspired and feeling good. You ready? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. What is your pre-race ritual?
0: I do the exact same thing every single time. So I'll pick one song that I'm obsessed with and I will listen to it on loop. Um, And I just do the exact same thing every single time before I get in my race chair.
1: Okay. What's one of the songs?
0: So like at games just now, it was this song called Station by like Lapsley, I think. And it's like, it's a sad girl song, right? But I find it really calming. And so yes. I listened to that like on loop from the 5,000 on, on my day one to the marathon on the last day.
1: I love it. I mean, you know what? If it gets you going, that's- It's gotta, whatever works, You got to lock right? into yeah. it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, your sports role model, who is that?
0: Oh, so many. Um so there's a woman called Chantal Petaclet, Canadian world racer, and she was mm-hmm. dominant in Beijing at my first games. And she won five gold medals, three world records, I think. Just unreal. Wow. It's amazing, amazing woman. And I remember after one of her podiums, she'd like, I don't know, maybe won like a third or fourth gold medal. To get back to the Canadian tent on the warm-up track, you had to walk by the Australian tent and on her way past, she saw me double-backed and gave me her flowers from the podium and said, these are for you until you win your own. Oh my God. And so oh that gosh. was like, un- unreal, amazing woman, amazing human, just an incredible athlete. And so, yeah, she was definitely one of my sporting role models. Yeah, wow. still is. Wow, that makes my day. <laughs> yeah. Oh my it's God. So yeah. dope,
1: so dope to have women like supporting women in that way. Yes. Okay, best way to celebrate a win.
0: Surround yourself with good people who are gonna like amplify that energy. Like mm-hmm. I think picking the right people to be around, so important. Whatever that looks like for you, just find good people. So
2: true. Do you have any people that you that you like won't have to have with you that you're like, I with these people are with me, I know it's gonna be a positive. A hundred percent. Yes. So in our team, like
0: after a good result, I will like seek out these people. I don't even know if they're, I don't even know if they
2: know who they are to (laughs) me. So I know you talked about songs a little bit already for your pre-rest ritual, but do you have like a top three that you like to listen to that really hype you up during a workout?
0: Okay. So yes, but they're not the most hype up songs, right? So (laughs) I love this. I I know they're your (laughs) hype up songs though. (laughs) So like when I line up for a race, like the, what I want to be, what I want to feel is just like still, right? Like I want to be still and calm. Yeah. And so like I listen to like The National a lot.
1: Amazing. Okay. And it's, again, like, come on, if it gets you going. I know. It's <laughs>
2: what it. works, right?
1: <laughs> All right. So what is the best way to relax after a busy week for you?
0: Okay. So like a normal training week. I have my dog. He needs like really long walks. And sometimes that's a nuisance. Like if you have a busy day, it is like the most inconvenient thing. But when you kind of like just need time to unwind. So I, mm. I like walk him like an hour and a half and my family all live on the other side of the country. So I will like take that time to like call home and, and chat to my sisters and my mom and stuff. So I find like, while it's like a thing that I have to do or else my dog is a menace. <laughs> um, it's also like one of like the yeah highlights for me.
2: Well, Madison, thank you again for joining us today and just sharing your heart and your story and incredible accomplishments. You're seriously inspiring so many women and athletes around the world to dream big and make waves in the world. So truly, thank you. Truly, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you Um, so much. Of course. But before you go, could you share with our listeners where they can find you on social media?
0: Yes. So I think just searching my name is easiest because my my username is stuck as like kind of a ridiculous one from when I got verified and I can't change it. Oh no. So, <laughs> it's like it's like Madison full stop with like four underscores, but like if you just search Madison Diazaro, it'll it'll come okay. up. Okay. Perfect. Very good.
1: Thank you so much for all of your beautiful energy and just for really embodying what it is that we would love to see in more female athletes because what you're doing and your mission is really, really going to change the lives of so many. And we're so glad we got the opportunity to talk to you.
0: No, thank you. Thanks for giving me like a platform to talk about it.
2: Anytime. Of course. Thank you, Madison. Well, that's it for the season. Right. Um Wow. I cannot believe the season is coming to an end. It's been such an enriching experience to have all these amazing conversations with our guests. You know, Every single one of them has taught me so, so much. Yes. I am over here crying in the club bag. I'm seriously like my eyes keep
1: watering. (laughs) I know. Just thinking about all of our incredible guests, it's been such an experience just to be able to hear from so many different women who are so passionate. I mean, hearing about the true impact of training in the cold. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that I was going to step outside into training and feel such confidence and, you know, just trust in that process. If it wasn't for Luisa Nicola and her pulling us through what the journey is like to train in the cold for athletes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have any knowledge about that. So learning about it, I had heard about it, but learning about it and really understanding it a little bit better. Um gave me a lot of insight and maybe I'll, I'm still thinking about it. So we'll see if that, if that happens, but I mean, gosh, man, after all of these conversations that we had with incredible guests, I feel like a lot of them kind of expressed sort of similar messaging. um, And that just being that women need more visibility in sports, more coverage, more pay, more support, more opportunities for women of color, women with disabilities, women of all sexual orientations. I mean, the list just keeps going, we have all of these amazing athletes like Madison DeRosario, Kelly O'Hara, Odyssey Alexander, Katie Sowers, all out there just absolutely crushing it in their sport and not always necessarily getting the visibility and the coverage and the enthusiasm in the same way um, that men's sports are kind of prioritized. Uh, But the more conversations like this that we continue to have, huge shout out to the Under Armour and iHeartRadio women who allowed us the space to amplify these conversations. The more we can hopefully help push that needle and finally witness some real change and equality in women's sports.
1: Yes. And such a huge shout out to our team. And of course, to women like Dr. Elizabeth Barchi that we yes. have on the show, the relatability of how we as athletes or how we as women can deal with even something as simple as body image or, mm. you know, the just huge gap in Or the huge gap in treatment for women in sports or women in the workplace is insane. And it's just so great to be able to bring those relatable stories to the speakers of our listeners. And also, I mean, I've absorbed so much from those conversations that made me feel so empowered and really left a lasting impression on me.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. I think as we wrap things up here at Under Armour Sweat the Details season two, oh, I'm going to cry. I just want to give an important reminder um, to anyone listening that wherever you are on your journey, whether you're exploring fitness for the very first time or whether you're currently working towards a championship, there is space for every single one of your journeys yes. and hopes and dreams and accomplishments in the world of women's sports and fitness. Our bodies are all very different and that's great. They're all unique. That is incredible, and I think it's freaking beautiful. So next time you show up to a practice, a workout, a game, anything, get those experiences with your body. Just remember how wonderful it is, whatever that might look like for you. Give your body thank you every now and then. Speak up for it every now and then. Uplift yourselves and each other. I really do believe in these moments that we as women can change the world, and I'm pretty sure all of our guests this season are proof of just that. I'm inspired. I'm about to just start crying. So, Mon. <laughs> yeah, let's shed that last tear for I season know. two.
1: Yes, y'all. I mean, I, Meg, always, you always speak to my heart. And every single woman on this show, there's a recurring theme of them growing up as a young girl and then really absorbing what society had to say or to give or didn't have to give to us. And, you know, really just going through their own experience at their own pace. And they're sharing that journey, but they're, the same matter as all of us. We as your hosts, the same matter physically as you all. And what really allows for us to become more powerful is becoming more of ourselves and leaning on one another and really finding strength in each other. So it's been an incredible honor, y'all, to be able to bring you these vibes on the weekly for season two. We cannot thank you all enough. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Fam. If you liked what you heard on the show, which we know you did, know subscribe it. for free or follow the show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review. We so, so appreciate it.
2: Yes, we do. And for the final time on season two, stay inspired, stay motivated, and don't forget to sweat the details. Bye. Bye. If you liked what you heard on the show, subscribe for free or follow the show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review.
1: Sweat the Details is a collaboration with Under Armour and iHeartRadio. Our show is hosted by me,
2: Monica Jones. And me, Meg Boggs. Our executive producers are Jess Schreibstein, Giselle Lewis-Archbald, Molly Sosha, and Maya Cole. Our producers
1: are Kelly Antoll, Layla Kadrain, Emma Osborne, and Alejandra Arivalo. And our sound editor and engineer is Sarah Gibble-Laska. Keep up the latest news in women's fitness by following Under Armour at Under Armour Women and at Under Armour.